hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Closing out season four is Becca Rice, head of products over at Jilt. After an entire season about hearing about Jilt, Becca and I dig deep into how it was built, how to be effective with your abandoned cart emails, GDPR, and much, much more. It's a great way to close out the season. But first, a word from our sponsors. This season of How I Built It is brought to you by two great sponsors. The first is LiquidWeb. If you're running a membership site, an online course, or even a real estate site on WordPress, you've likely already discovered that many hosts have optimized their platforms for a logged out experience where they cache everything. Sites on their hardware are great for your sales or landing pages, but struggle when your users log in. At that point, your site is as slow as if you were on $3 hosting. LiquidWeb built their managed WordPress platform optimized for sites that want speed and performance, regardless of whether a customer is logged in or logged out. Trust me on this. I've tried it out and it's fast. Seriously fast. Now, with their single site plan, LiquidWeb is a no-brainer for anyone whose site is actually part of their business and not just a site promoting their business. Check out the rest of the features on their platform by visiting them at buildpodcast.net slash liquid. That's buildpodcast.net slash liquid. It's also brought to you by Jilt. Jilt is the easiest way to recover abandoned shopping carts on WooCommerce, Easy Digital Downloads, and Shopify. Your e-commerce clients could be leaving literally thousands on the table, and here's why. 70% of all shopping carts are abandoned prior to checkout. Yes, you heard that right. 70% of shoppers never make it to checkout. That's why you need to introduce your clients to Jilt. Jilt uses proven recovery tactics to rescue that lost revenue. It's an easy win that lets you boost your client's revenue by as much as 15%, and it only takes 15 minutes of your time to set up. Jilt fully integrates with WooCommerce, EDD, and Shopify. You can completely customize the recovery emails that Jilt sends and match your client's branding using its powerful drag and drop editor. Or you can dig into the HTML and CSS. Even better, Jilt's fair pricing means your clients pay only for the customers that actually engage. You get to earn a cut of that through Jilt's partner program. Whether you have clients that process one sale per month or 10,000 sales per month, be the hero and help them supercharge their revenue with Jilt. Check them out at buildpodcast.net slash Jilt. That's buildpodcast.net slash J-I-L-T. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, I am very excited to have Becca Rice, who is head of product of Jilt, on the show today. Becca, how are you? 
I'm doing great, and uh, thanks, Joe, for having me. I really appreciate you know the chance to take a take an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, what we've done today. Oh, absolutely, my pleasure. And I should say right off the bat, I'm very excited to have you on the show because Jilt has been a season long sponsor. If you've been listening to season four, you've heard me talk about them at the top and bottom of each show. I'm also a Jilt user, and it's helped recover income for me. So I am a user of this product as well, and I'm a big fan. So I'm excited to really dig into it and 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 talk about how you guys built it. Yeah, yeah. First of all, thank you so much for using it. <laughs> I, I was excited when we talked about doing the sponsorship to have somebody that's kind of been interested in the product. So it's been pretty cool to you know get feedback and, and uh, your thoughts on it. So thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. So why don't we jump right into it? And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and how you as a group came up with the idea for Jilt? Sure. So in terms of my role, Jilt is built by Skyverge. Uh, who, if if you've been in the WooCommerce space, you probably recognize that name because we started out building WooCommerce extensions. So these days we have over you know 50 premium extensions on WooCommerce.com. And getting into that showed us a lot about what store owners really need and what is important to them. So while we were building WooCommerce, fewer people know that we also got into the Shopify space pretty early as well, like six months or so after we had been in, started wow. getting involved in WooCommerce. So we had done that under a different brand name trying to kind of build up brand equity in both places and not get confusion between, you know, what worked for Shopify and what worked for WooCommerce. So as we were really digging into those spaces really deeply, uh, we were doing as much customer development as we could. So we did a lot of interviews. We were doing some client work at that time and just trying to learn, you know, what are people's biggest struggles when they're starting a store? And kind of out of that came the concept of people, A, don't have time to set up the tools that are available to them. And B, uh, also have trouble with marketing and they're not sure how to do it or what best practices are because uh, they know their product a lot of times and not uh, too many you know, store owners are coming to their store with a lot of marketing experience. So kind of out of that was our idea. You know, we want to do something that's really easy to use that can do automation for marketing and that also builds in best practices so that people can get set up and not have to think about what they're doing too much. They can customize it if they want to, so we want to have power, but really under the surface. And so that's kind of where the idea for Jilt came. So it was originally actually only for Shopify, and then we sort of re-architected it and brought it into the WordPress space as well. Wow, that's fantastic. And this, the part you said about marketing rings 100% true. I just moved into the product space more or less full-time in June of last year. And I honestly thought it would be the same as selling services, but I quickly learned that like I could, I could sell a $5,000 website to one person a lot easier than I could sell like $50,000 courses. So the, the, the marketing aspect of it is, has been very difficult for me in the product space. I've learned a lot. I learned about cart abandonment in October when I went to Cabo Press and, and well, that's not actually true. I learned more about it, but we actually met at Post status publish, where you guys were promoting Jilt. So, like, I had heard the term, but I I wasn't keen on the value of it until I talked to a bunch of people running products who were like, "Yeah, you should do this." And I'm like, "Man, uh, well, Jilt does that, so I'm going to get Jilt." Awesome, and it's something that is interesting to me because the reason we started in Cart Abandonment, and you know, we've kind of started to expand from there, which we'll talk about a little bit. But uh, the reason we started in Cart Abandonment was because. There's so much money <laughs> that is just sitting there from it. And it, it tends to be the number one revenue driver 
for, for stores whose customers are coming and, you know, everybody kind of has heard that metric that there's, you know, 68% of your carts are abandoned. Our data supports that. We have like 65 or 66% among our customers. So wow. it's a ton of revenue that people are leaving. And we find that just by sending recovery emails out of, of those abandoned carts, 15 to 20% of them can be recovered. So it ends up being a huge revenue booster for small stores, especially to optimize existing traffic, you know, traffic that you're not paying more money to acquire. It's already there. So it, it ends up being super powerful for these small merchants and, and then amazingly powerful for really large merchants too. Man, that's fantastic. So when you were kind of getting into card abandonment and building out Jilt, was there a lot of research that went into it or or was it mostly the interviews that you were having, the services and, and the other plugins? I didn't realize that you guys had like a bunch more extensions on the WooCommerce platform. Like you said 50, I think, 50 plus. Over 50. I don't know what the exact count is these days, but it's a lot. Yeah, and that is a lot more than I thought you had. So what kind of research kind of went into building out Jilt? Well, the research component has always been a really strong function for us. And so having built a lot of those extensions, one of our most popular ones being memberships, right? We kind of go through the same process for all of those where it's a lot of, you know, customer interviews, development and validating, you know, the space with existing competitors and what they're doing and kind of looking at what we need to address those needs and where we can fill a gap that, you know, we feel like exists. And so with Jilt, when we were doing the research for it, it seemed like it was a problem that Shopify merchants were more aware of than WooCommerce mm-hmm. merchants at the time. So what we found is actually acquired an existing customer list in the, in the name Jilt. So it wasn't trademarked when we acquired it. Uh, there was a, an app developer in the Shopify space who had shut it down completely. We were sort of looking for an opportunity in that space actually kind of had Jilt as was one of the kind of names we were interested in. And so he had shut the app down a while back. And we're like, yeah. hey, you know, you don't have a lot of customers and, you know, you're not running this anymore, but we're interested in in just kind of acquiring this customer list so we can talk to them, right? And then we want to bring this app back. So we ended up buying that to get started and do a lot more research with those customers who were already doing this. And we didn't have a huge success rate, obviously, in <laughs> talking to those people. But it was enough to say, yes. This is an you know an awesome idea. We should revive this, rebuilt the entire thing from scratch, brought it back onto the Shopify platform, and then expanded into other platforms from there, understanding that you know merchants that were already doing it were having huge success rates, and merchants that weren't doing it were interested in it once they understood the problem. So we knew that both, you know, getting the product out there to address this need first, as well as to also start doing some education around it would be a really powerful combination. Yeah, wow, that's great. I've I've learned recently that uh you know you should try to piggyback off of other audiences is may, maybe not the best way to say it but you know the fact that you're working with an established audience of something that was called Jilt that people were definitely interested in I'm sure was hugely helpful as as you said so that's a very cool kind of avenue not really the answer I was expecting I mean it's yeah. it's sort of an interesting thing for us because we were mostly trying to see if we could buy our way into more customer mm-hmm. development. And then we had always planned on building it. So like, you know, the, the app that we have now is is something our team built from scratch, but the name really grew on us. And we were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's trademark it. Let's actually use this and and continue with it. So it was sort of not our typical path for, for building things where we do everything from scratch, but it was kind of fateful, <laughs> fateful moment to, to find a customer base that we could talk to and, and acquire essentially, and then, you know, spin something back up for this. Awesome. So I think that a lot of people could probably visualize the 
abandoning carts themselves, right? You you click through, you add a bunch of things, you go, ah, I'm not ready to pull the trigger. Or you don't, you know, you're on a website that doesn't have like that one click like Amazon has. So you you put in your address and then you're like, do I really want to do this? And then you put in your credit card and you're like, do I really, really want to do this? So there's a lot of steps in between to kind of, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to abandon cart if you don't make checkout as easy as possible. And I bring this up because part of the abandoned cart process is sending emails to people who have volunteered that information. I know that you guys around the time of this recording released a feature and we'll get into kind of building the whole thing in a minute, but I'm just really curious about this. What do you find is the best way to collect that initial email to make sure that the those abandoned cart emails are going out, right? Because if, if someone's not putting an email address in, then you can't send that email to somebody. Exactly. And with the concept of abandoned carts, you know, we break that down internally into recoverable and, and non-recoverable carts. And you have to have an email address mm-hmm. for something to be recoverable. If it's not recoverable there, you know, you could look at like retargeting and stuff like that. But I find that that mm-hmm. tends to be way less effective than email does. So with recoverable carts, the key is, as you said, to get the email address whenever you can. So we do that on checkout. Or if we have a registered user, you know, that we're golden there mm-hmm. because we already yeah. associate everything in that cart with that user as early as possible. But then it comes into kind of the, the area where you have guest users and you don't know their email address. What are ways you could do that? So what you mentioned is we added a feature that you can enable where when someone adds something to the cart, we'll do a popover that says, hey, would you like to reserve your cart? You know, reserve this item in your cart and your, your, your email and we'll save this for you. And then we can capture that email earlier the first time someone tries to add something to the cart. Now, if they opt not to do it then... It's a little difficult, right? We encourage right. people to say, you know, get people into the cart, get people into checkout. With our plugin, we move the email field up to the first field in checkout so that it's right there. And, and uh, hopefully people fill it out first and mm-hmm. try and increase the number of carts that are recoverable. We're also working on integrations with other forms so that, you know, you can say if someone's opting into your mailing list, for example, that we can uh, okay. capture that email and set it. So that's a problem we're constantly trying to address and constantly trying to expand the number of recoverable carts but obviously in a way that's respectful of your customers and, and you know, make sure that they're uh, explicitly entering that to opt into it. Yeah, right. That makes sense. You know, I've heard people doing techniques where like they'll use kind of JavaScript on, they'll use JavaScript to like secretly capture the email address. And I'm sure that's like super effective, but I know that some people might think that's a, a questionable thing to do. The, do you want us to reserve your car? I feel like that's a very, that's a very cool way to solve that problem because you're now providing a service kind of to the customer. You know, you're saying, Hey, go away. You know, we'll hold this for you. Don't worry about it. So exactly. And, you know, on our end, we feel that the checkout is, is a little bit different of an animal just because that shows intent to purchase. So right. we do capture email addresses there, you know, as right, someone's right, filling yeah. out the form. But yeah. other places on the site, I definitely agree with you that it can be unexpected for customers to, you know, have like, whoa, I didn't submit that mailing list form. Hold on a second. Right. That's a little weird. So we do try to, you know, tone down the sort of big brother like thing that could <laughs> happen there. And, you know, we try to find ways that, that make sense in the UI. So we felt like that popover was a good way to do that. And even though on most shopping carts, you know, your cart sessions would expire after a given time. Right. Uh, we'll store them forever on Jill. So even though, you know, you can tell your customer, we're going to clear this cart out for you, we make sure that it's always recoverable so that, you know, that cart could always then be regenerated later on to maximize the number of purchases you can save. Great, man, that's fantastic. So, I mean, so we talked about the research, we talked about kind of talking to your customers. Are there people in the business space that you talk to? I always like to ask this question because 
you know, this podcast kind of started as a mastermind I was having with other people that I'm like, I should record these conversations. So, you know, are there other kind of contemporaries that you talk to about adding features or what they're doing and working with other people? Absolutely. And we've been very fortunate in that respect in having worked with a lot of companies in the WooCommerce space via our extensions that are all, you know, under Skyverge there. So we have a lot of great conversations with partners as to like how they do things and advice, which is awesome. A great example is we work with Avalara to build their AvaTax connector for WooCommerce and their team is awesome. And so they are super generous with their time. And, and what's cool is that, you know, we focus on on building a great product for them, but they're also really great resources for us. And you're not going to ask them, hey, how do you guys, you know, approach partnerships? How do you do this? How do you do that? And that mastermind concept is super powerful, right? So we have an existing network that, you know, we try to leverage where we can. And then also selling a B2B product ends up being pretty cool because our customers are also business owners. And mm-hmm. so digging into that with customers is really insightful because they can give you feedback on a couple of different levels, being business owners themselves. So our customer development ends up being different than I think most people who are selling, you know, direct to consumer. But for us, you know, every interview ends up being a goldmine of just cool concepts that, that merchants are doing and how they're running their business. And it helps us to build a product that really hits on needs of both them and their customers. That's great. Yeah. It's almost like, um, I mean, as a programmer, I feel like if I'm giving feedback to another programmer, I need to like bring my A game as far as that feedback goes. Cause I hope for that when I get it from my users, right. Is, you know, I'm not just going to say this isn't working. I'm going to say this is I tried it on at this time, right before this, here's a screenshot. So that's great. And the other thing about a B2B product, right, is I imagine that people will see the value a lot more quickly than, you know, just a, a regular, not regular consumer, but uh, B2C, right? Especially in the WordPress space, I find it's it's hard to convince people who are using a free open source product to pay for other good products, right? You see it in the Android space, you see it in the WordPress space where people want the free thing, but they're not willing to pay for the paid thing, even though it might save them hours of time. Yeah. And it does make it way easier to sell because, you know, you, you set up this product and it makes you money. You know, right. so it's, it's a pretty easy sales pitch for us where we can say, you know, what's your revenue right now? How many orders do you have? This is what we think we'll recover for you. And that's going to be more than what you're paying every month. So you do certainly get people who are like, well, I could do this with a free plugin. Why should I pay for a service to do it instead? And then, you know, we treat that just as, as an education opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. To say, well, there are certain things that WordPress is terrible at. Scheduling events is one of them and sending emails is another. And these aren't things that you want to be doing, you know, on site. So we do definitely see that. And it's not necessarily symptomatic of open source, but I think just kind of you get price anchored, right? At, at things that right. are free. And to be fair, we do offer a free plan just, you know, so we can support people who are getting started. But we look at it as an opportunity to open up, you know, a dialogue about education and why we do things the way we do. Yeah, that's that's a great approach. Not to make this like a complaint fest or anything, but I, I hear the same thing, you know, why should I buy your course when I can get it for free on YouTube? And I take that opportunity to say like, sure, you can get it for free on YouTube, but you don't get access to me as the instructor or you don't get to ask your specific questions anywhere except for the YouTube comments, which are like a terrible place most of the time. Sure, you know, you can get the content probably for free, but for 50 bucks or whatever, you are also getting access to me and my 16 years of experience doing this. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. we've definitely found that once people 
people appreciate that opportunity then to ask right. questions and, and say, oh, well, I didn't know this. You know, can you explain that further to me? So it, it ends up being kind of a cool opportunity to chat with people. And especially in our position, what I find powerful is we've built tons of plugins, right? So we can say, yeah. coming from what started as a plugin shop, there's a reason we didn't do it this way. And here's why. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the most important lesson here is to to kind of kill them with kindness, right? Don't respond to their snark with more snark because you're not going to make a customer out of that person. Or if you're nice, you might make a customer out of that person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a great way of saying it. So while well, we're like pretty well into this interview and I haven't asked the title question yet. So uh, and I, if this one gets to rhyme, I'm really excited about this. We were talking about this before we started recording. So let's talk about how you built Jilt. <laughs> there is... There are tons and tons of layers that go into Jilt. And when we started, we knew that we did want to build this as an app, something that was off-site. Despite having had a ton of experience in WordPress, you know, we've also had a lot of experience with hosted apps in the Shopify space. And we know that <laughs> trying to schedule events in a WordPress plugin is just going to go poorly. So mm-hmm. it was a pretty clear choice to us that this was something that we were going to build as a standalone service if we were going to do it right, which is, is important to our team. You know, we want to try and do things the best way. So we started out by building it in Ruby on Rails because that was what our, our main proficiency was as a team. Uh, we were building Shopify apps in Ruby. So it's built with, you know, Ruby on Rails and Postgres. And as we've as we've kind of continued with Jilt, we've sort of started to bring in a lot more components. Like we use Elasticsearch under the hood now to determine, you know, campaign entry rules. And we're starting to expose some of the Elasticsearch abilities via segmentation, which we're going to be rolling out in a couple of weeks so that you can, you know, target specific customers and orders instead of just, you know, general campaign rules like every cart that's abandoned. You know, it's really important Mm -hmm. to us to let you say, nope, I want this cart that was abandoned with these characteristics. We also use uh, Angular and Vue.js in a couple different parts of our app for, uh, you know, customer facing features like the email editor and our segmentation rules UI, which is been in progress for some time and, and we're getting pretty close to now, which I'm very excited for. Yeah. And then we also use intercom pretty heavily for in-app messaging and support, which ends up being really powerful for a service like what we do to make sure that people can, you know, contextually get help. Right. Yes. I'm in the email editor page. I want help with my email. You know, can you, can you help me get this set up? Very nice. That man. So there's a lot of things here that I, I want to parse out. It sounds like in the like so first of all, I, I heard Angular and Vue, but what about React? You know, what about <laughs> everything in its place? Yeah. We just felt like it wasn't the right fit for us. I mean, right. we we got started originally with the email editor in Angular because mm-hmm. that was what we knew. Yeah. And and so it was the fastest way for us to get that done. But we found that with the segmentation UI, you know, getting started with Vue has given us much better tools. And so the person who's been leading that kind of switched over to that. So we are definitely not, not you know, huge proponents of any particular JavaScript framework. And I know I'm probably going to upset some people just by saying that. But, you know, we try to use whatever we feel like is the best tool for the job. And, and we, don't, we don't get tied to any particular tool or pattern or, or method of doing something. Evolution is a really big, important part of our company culture. So if we decide to change it in the future, we'll change it. If you build WordPress websites, you should join your fellow WordPress developers from around the world for WordSesh, a must-attend virtual conference on July 25th, 2018. WordSesh has been highly curated to provide you with the absolute best possible experience. Every presenter has been handpicked for their experience and perspective. Each topic complements and builds on the others. 
and the virtual swag will be amazing and useful. You can see the full speaker lineup and register for the live event and its recordings at wordsesh.com. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, and if anybody does get annoyed, I will happily defend your point because I, I am much more interested in learning Vue than React. I know that like React has gotten a lot easier to develop on with like, uh, I think uh, Human Made put out like some easy build tool. But like when I was looking into it, it was like install this million things and then run them and then maybe you could start writing code. And I'm like, I just want to write code. You know, I don't want to. <laughs> so I don't want to build the car and then like drive it. So that aside, just like the JavaScript trolling aside, <laughs> you mentioned uh, that you knew you wanted to build an app because of the scheduling. In a previous episode, I talked to Blair Williams of MemberPress, and he mentioned the difficulties of using WP Cron, which is what I immediately thought of when you said, you know, you want to make sure the schedule emails and, and building stuff on top of WordPress. Was that something that kind of came into, was that something that you were kind of thinking about? I know that like WP Cron only fires... Like, yeah, when visitors hit the website. Yeah. Well, having been in the WooCommerce space and working really closely with Prosperous, who built WooCommerce subscriptions, mm -hmm. they are probably most acutely aware of every every downside of using WP Cron. So we knew that was not an option for us mm -hmm. at all because of the fact that, you know, when you're scheduling that number of events, you're not guaranteed reliability in when Cron is going to fire and those events are going to happen. More importantly... Every cron event is stored in a single option, which if you've worked with cron, you're probably nodding along and like, yep, it's terrible. Yep. And mm -hmm. so that's why the subscriptions plugin actually uses cron to just trigger a runner with their own custom scheduling library, which stores every event as a separate post, which they're also in progress and moving to a custom table instead. So what happens then is when you get to scale and you've got a lot of events scheduled, you know, you you end up basically exhausting the maximum size of mm -hmm. that of that option to store events. And so we, we knew as soon as we were getting started, started with this that trying to do this on site was, was totally out of the question for right. us with the amount of emails that we're, we were going to be scheduling. Because if you think about you know, the number of orders you have, right, <laughs> you've got twice as many you know, abandoned carts. So imagine tripling the size of that orders table and sending emails for two out of every three of those. It's a lot of events. And so we know, you know going into this that that was not going to be something that was even on the table. Gotcha. Yeah, that and again, that makes perfect sense. You also take out the the unknowns of other people's hosting environments, right? Liquid Web is a very good host, very friendly to WooCommerce, especially. But uh, you know, if somebody's running on, uh, well, I won't call out any hosts, but if if somebody's running on a host that's not as friendly to running, you know, just regular cron or WP cron or handling a bunch of events, your product could fail due to the environment, which is not necessarily your fault or within your control. Right. And, you know, we do have a, a number of things that are, you know, sort of happening on site just mm -hmm. because of the fact that we want to have the tightest integration we can. Right. Right. But definitely if we can eliminate some of those variables to improve reliability, you know, it's a huge win for the people who are using our service. Yeah, absolutely. So the people, so for anybody who's not using Jilt, uh, you have the app that is offsite, kind of your hosted thing. And then you have the plugin that gets installed on your WooCommerce site or the is it an extension on Shopify? So you install these components mostly to have the right data to be sending information, right? Yep. So we could look at doing things purely via the WooCommerce REST API, mm -hmm. but there are components that are better managed on site for reliability. 
And so we do have the integration plugin that kind of rests on site, gives you setup options on site, and you know, does some of those mission critical functions also in integrating with other extensions so that we can try and make, you know, Jolt as seamless as possible with WooCommerce. So the plugin itself isn't doing a ton of heavy lifting, right? We try to offload as much to the app as we can, but it makes it pretty easy for people to get set up. And a lot of people are also really used to that. Mm. For example, you know, with WooCommerce, you realize, okay, if I want payment processing, I've got to install a plugin that connects to my right. payment processor. So with Jilt, we do that. We try to make it really simple. So when you install Jilt for WooCommerce, there's like a one-click OAuth sign-up that it's like, here, yep, connect the Jilt, create an account, cool, come back, you're ready to go. So the plugins are what we're using to connect. And then in the Shopify space, it ends up being a little bit different. Our, our Jilt Shopify app is actually built into the core Jilt app itself because we are doing everything via the API there with it being hosted. Gotcha. But it, it ends up looking the same where you're in the app store and you you know click, yep, I want this app, connect, and then it connects to Jilt app. Cool. Very cool. So I have uh, one more follow-up question on building it, and it's solely because this episode will be coming out around the time that this is happening. So I'm sorry I didn't prep you for this. I just thought of it now. GDPR, do you have any thoughts on how that could affect like shop owners or, or your people? If not, we could like totally edit this part out. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, not really terrifying, but it's it's a lot. And so the biggest thing that's difficult for me is with GDPR, it's a huge burden on both small merchants and, and small product builders like our company, right? You know, we don't have an in-house legal team to, to review right. EU regulations, right? Nor do we, you know, know EU lawyers. We're usually finding them through through networks that we've built. So mm-hmm. it's a lot, a lot of compliance stuff. And I, I do worry how platforms themselves are going to handle it. What we found on our end is that WooCommerce Core is has already had a couple PRs in place to try to address this. So nice. by the time this airs, those might be merged, which Let's let's your customers say, I want you to delete my data from the mm-hmm. site. I don't want you to have my data anymore. The problem being that you you can't just delete their orders, right? Because it's right. illegal to delete those records for tax purposes. Right. So you end up having this weird situation in which you have to anonymize some of the customer data, but not all of it, because we need to know where that customer was for taxability purposes. So it ends up being a huge burden to try and technically figure out how to do this. And so WooCommerce Core is working on it. Liquid Web has a plugin actually already that you could install to do this for you. So they've been ahead of the curve there. And then there's also the concept of opt-in, which is one that affects us most. So when, you know, a customer says, I want to reserve this item in my cart, we have to say, and here's how we're going to use your email address in this specific instance. You have to explain what that opt-in mm-hmm. is going to do. And if you use, you know, if you have an email list that you use for multiple purposes, like marketing this and marketing this and marketing this, you have to lay out every single one of those opt-ins when you're opting the customer in, and they all have to be unchecked by default. So there's a lot of maintenance burden that goes into it. On our end, we've been sort of just watching what platforms are doing. So what WooCommerce is doing, what Shopify is doing to see what we should be doing on site to piggyback that. On our end, that also affects us as a business owner who has EU customers to say, well, when our customers request to delete data, what do we have to do with our data? And fortunately, we had already been in progress in making this simpler for ourselves to get the UK Privacy Shield certification done. So we can you know, handle that on our side, but kind of helping our merchants be GDPR compliant has been you know, our biggest focus right now. So it's... It's definitely pretty onerous for for small business owners. I mean, just as much as the the VATMOS regulations were for you know merchants in the EU a few years ago. 
Right. Yeah. Because because that's the thing, right? This is a EU regulation that's trying to be a kind of global regulation. And at this point, you know, you can say, well, the EU doesn't doesn't have jurisdiction in the United States over United States customers, at least. But we have to wait for like Google to sue the EU if they're going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Better safe than sorry. For us, you know, if we only had merchants based in the U.S., we probably wouldn't be concerned with it. But we've got, you know, a significant user base in the EU who's in the same boat, right? We don't want them to feel like, oh, my gosh, this is overwhelming. And so if we, right. can, if we can do something that helps them, you know, comply with that, we're, we're certainly keen on looking into it. But I can't imagine being a merchant and being in this position and saying, oh, my gosh, now I've got, you know, I can't afford to hire a developer to do all these things for me. So fortunately, WooCommerce itself has been kind of looking into that and and trying to get merchants tools they need to be compliant with it. But it's a lot. And it was definitely very, from what I saw, hasty, right? People didn't know this existed until like a month ago. Right. That's exactly how I was like, when did this, when did this happen? Right. Because in the United States, you hear, oh, this thing passed today. And then in two years, it'll be a thing. I feel like GDPR, which for those of you who don't know, it's, it's like a data privacy act that I guess what's the best way to describe it? It requires people who are collecting data on their websites to give their users an option to just get rid of all the data at its most basic level, right? I'll I'll have a link in the show notes to something that describes it more thoroughly, but I feel like it happened and now in May it's happening. <laughs> yeah, the first time I had heard of GDPR was I mean, I think January, and it was like, oh, okay, we'll have to worry about that at some point. And then it's like, nope, you have to worry about it now. And right. Yeah, it's it's overwhelming. So for a small team like ours, I mean, it certainly puts a big burden on us, which which is not particularly welcome, but yeah. you know, we can then empathize with the small merchants we work with who are in the same position. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a great way to put it. That's a very positive spin on that. So I really like that. We've talked a bit about the transformations of Jilt and how you acquired it and, and how you built it. What are your big plans for the future? That's this episode is dropping in, in May. So stuff that we're talking about today that could be out by May, maybe. I don't want to tie you to any of that, but the big, the big things that you're working on for the next few months. Yeah, we have a ton in progress always. And so right now, you know, our main focus has been getting a segmentation UI available to people who are using our app so that when you send card abandonment emails and post-purchase follow-up emails, which we already do, that you can target those to your customers a bit better. So that's the immediate focus. Longer term, it's really important to us to be able to send emails that are going to make you more money. And so we're looking at other kinds of emails that are going to help you do that. So abandoned cart recovery emails make the most money on average, but there are tons of other emails that do that. So for example, welcome emails, they don't make a ton of money directly, but they make all your other emails more likely to be read. You know, so we're working on better welcome emails, like thanks for your first purchase or thanks for registering, you know, as a customer on the site to get those other emails read better post-purchase follow-ups and win-back emails. So we have the structure in place to do all of this now, which has been a pivot for us because, you know, Jilt wasn't originally built to do what it's doing now. And we've done a lot of infrastructure work. So I'm super excited over the next few months to start to put all this infrastructure we've, we've refactored into play and say, now we can make it easier to do welcome emails and then we can do win-back emails. You know, let's say after 60 days and someone hasn't purchased, we're also looking at tighter integrations with other plugins, given that we have a really unique, you know, skill set, a particular set of skills, right? <laughs> um, 
that other companies don't have. And, and, you know, so working with things like memberships and subscriptions and other extensions, uh, we want to get really granular there and give you a super seamless experience between, you know, your site and, and other extensions. And that extends into things like, you know, other apps on Shopify that we can work together with and integration partnerships, other plugins and easy digital downloads as well, because we think that that space sort of gets ignored a little bit by bigger players and, and mm-hmm. knowing that space very well you know, we can, we can do the same thing there. So we're very excited for more types of email sending, better onboarding, and uh, even more integrations, especially with the tools in, in a particular platform. That's great. And I can definitely speak to the welcome post-purchase emails. I, you know, I sell online courses. So LearnDash, my LMS, has an add-on for that. So when somebody registers for a course, I send them a welcome email. When they complete a certain module, I send them a follow-up like, hey, how's it going? You probably just took the hardest part of this course. And people are always surprised when they respond and I respond back. So adding that human element is really important and very difficult for an online shop. And you know, these the, the things that you just said that you're working on can really help bring that human element. Oh, absolutely. And and that's one of the things that I love about automation is, is people think of automation and they think it's impersonal, mm-hmm. right? Like you get this thing in your head about like automated call systems is always the thing that comes to mind for me. And yeah. that's not the case. It's a way to get more personal because you can do things in a way that previously wouldn't have scaled for you, right? Like when you have an online store, you know, 10 years ago, every customer looks the same to you. So you're sending all of them the same emails. And you're sending all, you know, all the same order receipts and things like that. And that doesn't have to be the case anymore, right? We can get more targeted and more granular. And, you know, our goal is the very long-term that we want to be able to send every email in your customer's life cycle for your e-commerce store. And nice. that means for stores that sell subscriptions, we need to give you tools to say, I want to send this to subscribers, but I want to send this to everybody else. For membership stores, you know, that means... I want to send these emails when new content is available. I want to send this information when you switch a membership, right? All of these things that help you stay in contact with your customers and build a relationship. Building that relationship is essential for, you know, building loyalty and building repeat customers. So uh, it's an ambitious goal, but we're definitely, you know, we make progress towards it every single day. And hugely helpful because right now, in order for me to do that, I need to make sure that I tag customers in ConvertKit when they buy something so that I can then send them an email when they have that tag. If I don't have to worry about, and like, you know, there's a plugin that's like customer email purchase list or something like that, that gives me a list of all the emails. But again, I want to make things as automatic as possible. I am a one man band. So, you know, I don't want to have to remember to send out these emails because they probably won't get sent out. And then it seems impersonal, right? The automated email is something I don't have to remember to do. And then when somebody responds, I get to respond to them. So like you said, it, it, it does make things, it creates opportunities to be a lot more personal. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's what we're looking to do is, is help you build those relationships with your customers and, and keeping, you know, in steady communication with them is, is one of the best ways to do that. Great, great. So we've gotten a lot of really good information here. And I want to, I want to end with my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? <laughs> you know, I thought about this one and the one that came to mind was like, send abandonment emails because, <laughs> you know, as someone who builds an app for that, when we get leads who don't convert, you know, we will send them follow-ups and stuff like that. So apply that to your business, no matter what you do. But I guess more specifically to, you know, building products, both downloadable software and SaaS products, 
the biggest thing that we found has helped us be successful is to invest in your customers. So we tried to spend a lot of time on you know customer education and helping them solve problems and talking to them and, and trying to understand what challenges their business faces. And it's a big time investment. It's hard to do, right? But when we do that, we find that we learn so much about their journey and what they're doing that it helps us build much better products and be more successful as a company as a result. So that kind of concept of, of investing in your customers has really benefited us in what we've been doing. Yeah. Calling back to what you said earlier, it helps you empathize with your customers more, which is what we want. That's excellent, excellent advice. Invest in your customers. And of course, send abandonment emails. Uh, I can vouch for that. Definitely. It's definitely, you know, I, uh, it's worth the investment. You know, you, you definitely make what you paid and more in that investment. So Becca Rice, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate the time. Yeah. Thanks so much, Joe. We're uh, both in Pennsylvania enjoying being snowed in right now. So we had nothing better to do, right? Yeah, exactly. Hopefully by the time this comes out, it'll be nice and we'll be able to spend time outside, but we're snowed in right now. (laughs) Where can people find you? So you can find me on Twitter at B-E-K-A underscore R-I-C-E. I also write on you know our, our jilt.com blog, on our skyverge.com blog. And many times, if you really want to get a hold of me through one of those contact forms, you know, you say my name three times like Beetlejuice, I pop up. <laughs> uh, so, you know, feel free to, to reach out. And you know, I do love talking to people about what they're doing. So you can always get a hold of me through either one of those sites. Thanks so much to Becca for joining me today. I'm a huge fan of Jilt and I was honored to have their support for this season. I have an even bigger appreciation of it now that I know some of the under the hood stuff. If you do anything with e-commerce and shopping carts, check them out. And their blog is great too. And thanks again to our sponsors for this entire season. Make sure to check out Liquid Web for managed WordPress hosting. I use them on all of my important sites because they are that good. They're over at buildpodcast.net slash liquid. They'll give you 50% off your first two months just for being a listener. And of course, if you want to save your clients or yourself money through recovering abandoned carts, check out Jilt. You just spent a half hour learning all about them. So check them out over at buildpodcast.net slash Jilt. And finally, be sure to check out WordSesh on July 25th. It's an incredibly affordable 12-hour online conference with some of the biggest thought leaders in WordPress. Get your tickets at buildpodcast.net slash wordsesh. For all of the show notes, head over to howibuilt.it slash 81. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. And if you like the show and want to support it directly, head over to patreon.com slash howibuiltit. I'll be continuing to push out content over there even during the break. So if you can't get enough of the show, Patreon's your best bet to get it all. Thanks so much for listening this season. It's been the best season so far. I've seen incredible growth and I have big plans for season five. So be sure to stay subscribed and keep an eye out for that dropping in a few weeks. And until next season, get out there and build something.